7.03 on a Wednesday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I'm, I'm digging the tunes. This one's got a real slow build. I can feel it, which is good because I have more reads. I have more things to say. We have a contest for the remainder of the week. Every day, we are going to give away some tickets to not one, but two of the best What We Learn submissions. Here's what's going to happen. We're giving away C's tickets for a family fun game this Sunday. We're also going to be giving away four packs of BC Lions tickets to see the Leos take on Saskatchewan on Friday. Okay? Basically, I'm going to make this as simple as possible. If you want tickets to go see sports, tell us what you learned in sports. That's all you got to do. That's what we at the Halford and Bruff Show are offering to you right now. Hashtag it WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? We have three guys producing this show right now. It's an amazing amount of manpower. Less brain power. Mostly manpower. So they're going to go and cultivate and cull through all of these what we learns and pick the two winners. We'll announce that right at the end of the show. Finally, back-to-school deals on the latest phones, plans, and much more are on now at Fido. You can go to a Fido store, or you can visit them online at fido.ca. That's the business it has been attended to. Okay, uh, I want to get into the Seattle Seahawks situation. Uh, noteworthy development yesterday in the Pete Carroll essentially declared that the quarterback battle as to who will be the number one starter going into the season is still very much on and they don't really have a defined timeline. Now there is a defined timeline because they're going to need to name a starter before, you know, the first game of the season. But I think a lot of people assume that the Seahawks would have this competition buttoned up and the number one guy announced earlier, but a variety of things have thrown that into flux. Uh, Geno Smith has gotten the majority of the first team snaps. Drew Locke was supposed to get that start in the exhibition against Chicago. Yeah. But he got COVID. Mm-hmm. So that kind of threw the timeline into arrears as well. And was quite sick with it, too. Right. So what we're looking at now is Carroll saying, well, we haven't really had a, I probably I'd call it a fair shake for Locke to compete. He also likes what he's seen from Drew Locke. I'll let the man himself explain the situation, though. Here now, Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll on the situation of quarterback between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Gino's been the guy in the lead position the whole time, and I've protected that thought with, uh, you know, throughout. And, and he's done a really nice job. He's been very consistent. Um, so we'll just see what happens. And, and, you know, there's two more weeks of practice, too, after this. So there's where the timeline, I had a set thought on the, I mean, what we would do with the timeline, but that got disrupted. And so um, we're, you know, we're going to use all the time we need. Would you ever consider playing two quarterbacks at once? That can happen. Yeah, that can happen. Have you ever done that? Um, not, no, not, not really, not with the same sense. These guys are so even right now that, you know, um, that we have, we have a lot of respect for both their play. And so, uh, but I'm not thinking that way right now. I'm thinking of getting going and getting started, ready, rolling and all of that. Um, and Gino's in the mentality has been in that mentality the whole time. And that's, that was very much by design. Okay. So first of all, um, I'm having some trouble getting into this debate, Gino versus Drew, mm-hmm. because I feel like it's like, which deck chair on the Titanic would you prefer to sit in? Yeah, that's a, that's fair. That's right? a totally fair analysis. This one over here isn't very comfortable, and this one over here. 
not very comfortable. Over either. there throws interceptions. Yeah, no, right. I know. I know. Um, I do feel like, but if we're going to talk about this, I do feel like Pete Carroll is trying his best to give Drew Locke every shot at winning this because that was my I think too. that's what the Seahawks want. That they was, don't that want Geno take. Smith at quarterback. Well, they've seen it. They've seen it. They know what Geno Smith is. Um, he is what he is, and that is not a top 10 quarterback, not a top 20 quarterback. He can move the ball occasionally. Mm-hmm. He's just not a special quarterback in the NFL. I don't think now, he's a starting caliber quarterback no, he's not. in the NFL. He's not. He's Bottom not. line. Not a, not on a not on a good team or even like a middling team. Yep. Really. If you want to go 4 and 12, you can definitely start Geno Smith every game of the season or 4 and 13, I suppose. Yeah. But it's not uh it's not a viable option. Convincing is a, is a word that I think gets thrown around a lot because I feel like the Seahawks have spent an inordinate amount of time trying to convince themselves, uh, reporters, Maybe guys on the field that aren't Drew Locke, that Drew Locke is much better than we've seen and that there's really something there. I mean, I've seen that narrative pushed in a bunch of different ways that you know he never really got a fair shake in Denver and there was multiple coordinator and coaching changes and he didn't really have the weapons around him. And the first time that he started showing a little bit of erratic nature and throwing the football and turning it over that he got a quick hook. Right. And I, I keep saying, I'm like, honestly, I, I understand sometimes that NFL teams miss on guys or misidentify guys, but I, more I also, often than more not, often they, than not, they know, especially the quarterback position, they spend such an inordinate amount of resources trying to find the guy that they can really quickly suss out who ain't the guy. I would say more often than not, they hold on to guys in the hopes that they'll turn into something, that they'll turn the corner even when they really doubt it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think just watching Drew Locke, you can see his arm strength. You can see that he has the ability to make plays that Geno Smith can't. Sure. But you can also understand that maybe his, I hate using this phrase, I even hate using it during hockey, his football IQ really isn't there, right? And that why why it was such a big deal mm-hmm. when he got sacked in his uh, play against the Steelers and fumbled the ball. And look, none of the offensive line picked up the rusher, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you talk to the people that know more than me about football, which is quite a few people, but the people that are experts at it, they say, like, that's something that's, like, part of protection or a big part of protection is on the quarterback to recognize what's going on he didn't recognize it, and that's been an issue with him. And we weren't talking about the Steelers' best players at that point, right? right. That was late in the game when the scrubs were playing. Yep. Yeah, and, and Pete mentioned it yesterday when he was talking, right? And again, in classic Pete fashion, he tried to put a positive spin on it. That everything that we saw up until that point was great, and we really just wanted to see him finish. And I think that means hold on to the football and don't turn it over, which was a big problem in Denver for him. But, I mean, you look around the league, and it, 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 we had Nick Shook on the show yesterday. And we talked about all the teams in the AFC North and what they've got going on at quarterback. And obviously, Deshaun Watson's not going to be playing for Cleveland anytime yeah. soon. So that's going to be a very middling guy in the mix. We talked about um, Pittsburgh. It comes down to Pickett or Trubisky, yeah. which isn't super inspiring either. And then you kind of look around the NFL and you're like, you know, where does Seattle's is not an inspiring quarterback situation at all. There's no, like you said. So here, here's a question I've yeah, got for you. Sure. Are you tank nation for the Seahawks? Because I am. I am. I want them to lose as many games as possible and have their pick of the best quarterback 
in this upcoming draft, whether it's CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or, you know, wh- whoever it may be. I know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be watching college football this year to watch the quarterbacks. Yeah, week zeros this weekend, by the way. Um, but it, it is interesting, that question, because I, I, I want them to. I don't feel like, and this is a weird way of putting it, I feel like they might be too good to tank. I feel like they might have too many guys. I don't guys. know, man. I don't know, man. Did you watch that last game? They were pretty bad. And like, I, I, I realize they've got some talent mm-hmm. in Metcalf and, and Lockett. And, and they I got think some the young defense players. might be all right. <sighs> I think the defense is going to be raw. And do you know how many missed tackles they've had? I'm just it's saying. It's not just preseason, I'm just right? saying, like, I don't know if they're a three or four win team. I think they might be. I, yeah, well, I mean, that's the hope. Sadly, that's the hope, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I, you, you've seen teams bottom out, like teams that are designed to be bad, right? Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't feel like they're designed to be bad. And I think part of that has to do with Carol and Schneider. Right. You know, and I don't know what the mentality is there. It's so it's funny when you talk about the direction of teams, right? For example, I was ta- talking with a buddy the other day and he was talking about Indianapolis. And he was like, "Could you imagine being a Colts fan? How do you get excited about three different years of bringing in someone else's like discarded QB that you have no real excitement. So Philip Rivers. Yeah, who's Carson the quarterback Wentz, now? Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, right. That's like if you go 3 years consecutively of doing you, you do it with Philip Rivers, and you're like, okay, I get it, right? He's at the end of his career. He wants to keep playing. He's got 13 kids. I, maybe he doesn't want to be around the house. Are they talking themselves into um, Matt Ryan like like they think maybe he could be Stafford to the Rams-esque? Well, I guess they could, but, I mean, I don't think anyone has a realistic expectation of that. I mean, Matt Ryan. I called Matt Stafford Drew Stafford last week, by the way. Did you? Yeah. Former. And J- and a- Jamie was like, uh, I was like, are you talking about the Buffalo Sabres forward? Who- yeah, that's <laughs> I was right. Like, I was like, no, 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 no. But that, that, those things do happen. I've call- I think I've called him Drew Stafford as well. Anyway, I digress. Um, like, if you're a fan of that team, could you imagine having three consecutive years where you're like, we're doing this again? We're bringing in, like, this aging quarterback that, whose best days are clearly behind him. Yeah. And they're they've been on the fringes like they famously blew their playoff chances. But last that's year why I, that's why I want the Seahawks to deal with this quickly. Like, sure, bringing it Don't back to do, the, this is what I'm saying. Bringing Please. it back to the Canucks, yeah. like we always do. Um, one of the nice things about the Canucks over the last few years is that they have replaced Henrik Sedin and Ryan Kessler, who were two really good centers for them, and a big reason why the Canucks were a successful team now over a decade ago. Uh, with similarly good centers, right? Like Pedersen, mm-hmm. Miller, yep. and and Horvat. Um, you know, I don't know if Miller's got a got a future for this team, but y- you do have the potential, especially in a guy like Pedersen, to have an elite player. There are some teams around the league that have been searching for an actual elite center for a long, long time, and they've never really had it, and it's a big reason why they haven't won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and then you, you kind of talk yourself into guys. Or you talk yourself, guy. Yeah, absolutely. Masquerading is a 1C when he's not really a 1C. bring in, like, Jonathan Duran and tell him to play center, right? And, and, you, and you put yourself in, in desperation mode. And typically when you're talking yourself into things, it means you don't have it. Yeah. Right? And, and sometimes... You know, like there are some good debates, right? Ryan Tannehill was a good debate. I remember back in the day, Joe Flacco was to to the point where you know, is Joe Flacco elite became yeah. almost a meme, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And then he, he, during that Super Bowl run, he played like an elite quarterback, but the debate was still out there, sure. right? Is, you, you get into these, these questions. Like, I know that Geno Smith is not an elite, and I am 99% confident that Drew Locke will never be an elite quarterback in the NFL. Right. And I realize there are the odd time. There is the odd time when a non-elite quarterback leads his team to a Super Bowl win. But most of the time, right, you need a top guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, I th- and that's yeah. what I want the Seahawks to be able to transition to quickly. And that's why I'm on Team Tank. Because, it, you know, next year's quarterback crop in the draft class, unlike this year's, is supposed to be pretty good. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, here's the thing. Um, you know, you go back over the annals of draft history and how many times, and Ryan Tannehill was a great example. How many times do you get like a former first round, second high draft pick, maybe our quarterback of the future that gets discarded, and then he becomes that elite quarterback? It didn't happen very often, right? Look you at know? how many that, that don't, right? They're still in the league. Like a guy like, I don't know, like where's Sam Darnold now? Sam Darnold. Yeah, where is Sam Darnold now? Is he is he hurt? Sam Darnold is in a QB competition. Well, not so much competition. Uh, Matt, um, Matt Baker. With Matt Baker? Sorry, I don't know why that crossed my mind. Um, but that's Baker right. Mayfield yeah. has supplanted him in yeah, uh, Carolina. Yeah. So yeah. That, so th- and that's th- those guys were drafted in 2018. That was the same draft class, Same right? draft, yeah. So we're talking four years out. The Browns have moved on from Baker Mayfield. The Jets have moved on from Sam Darnold, right? So they got a, a decent amount of leash in their respective markets before the guys realize that you're, you're not it. They move them somewhere else. you know. It, and people will try and talk themselves into like a guy like Sam Darnold because they sit there and go, well, I mean, no one can be successful with right. the way the Jets were constructed. Like, give this guy a realistic chance. But, you know, sometimes you can just tell. Go a year prior when the Bears took Trubisky and they, they figured it out eventually that he's not the guy. Move on, and he's never going to be the guy. He's going to be battling for a spot in Pittsburgh right now, but expectations are low. So I I tie this back to Drew Locke because, again, oftentimes when you're getting someone else's cast off at the quarterback position, there's probably only a certain ceiling that they're ever going to hit. Like It's it's just a rarity at that position that they misidentify talent to the point where oh, we really shouldn't have let that guy go. Like they, Mm -hmm. they, you know, you you know what you see and you know what you've got. And that's why the... And even Ryan Tannehill Right, like yeah. he's 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 fine, mm-hmm. but now that expectations for him and for the team, people are like, yeah, but he's still not good enough. Golf with the Rams, you can go all the way back. Wentz with the Eagles, like they yeah. had their ceilings, but once <laughs> once he kind of get discarded, you just become a sort of. That's why the position when when they traded Russell Wilson was such a profound one because. All that's the solution to the quarterback question. The Seahawks had it. Russell Wilson yeah, was the guy. Russell Wilson was the guy. There was no you didn't have to worry about it, right? Even if you were a concerned about his play or going on the wrong side of thirty, or mm-hmm. maybe they still had it. I want the Seahawks to win one game next season. One game. One game. And you want it to be the opener against us. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. That's that, all. That's all I want. I, I want the Seahawks to win one game and the Broncos to win none. <laughs> I don't uh, think that's going to happen. Okay, uh, we want to talk about <laughs> we want to talk about Mullet Arena. This is this is a thing. I don't know how many of you saw it yesterday, but the tiny band box that the Arizona Coyotes are going to play in next year, which of course is the multi-purpose hockey rink at ASU, Arizona State University, they announced yesterday that it's going to be called Mullet Arena. This is not for the hairstyle. 
This is not a clever pun or play on words for the hockey crowd. Uh, it is in recognition of Donald and Barbara Mullet, who have been strong advocates for the growth of hockey in the state of Arizona. God, it would be awesome if they had mullets, though. There's, there's got to be a marketing opportunity there, though, like mullet night, show up with your mullet, get a free ticket or something like that. Or There's got to yeah, be something I imagine. I imagine they'll well, probably take do advantage it. of that. Who has the best mullet in sports history? The best mullet. I'm not talking about the best hair. The best mullet in sports history. Yager. Yager, for Yager's sure. Yager's mullet, which also stood the test of time. Yeah. Underrated in the entire Yager uh, like, journey, how mm. he played, and he's still playing now, and he's over 50, is that his hair always remained like luxurious and thick, and like I don't, yeah. he didn't go gray. It was remarkable. He he, there. You're not going to ever find anyone like him again. You know what I'm going to give a, a special shout out to was Andre Agassi's mullet, and right. just the um, the roller coaster that his hair experienced over such a short time because he had that mullet when he was like 19. Correct. And then he later admitted that he in part grew it to cover up the fact that he was going bald and occasionally he would use hair pieces and then eventually he just shaved it off and it shocked the tennis world. Yeah. Shaved his head and uh, like he, he's, he's asked about this stuff or he's been asked about it and he's quite emotional about it. Yeah. There's, there's been stories written about it. He like his, buried his mullet. He's got a little tombstone for it. Like. <laughs> But he was known as this, like you know, like young, vibrant tennis player. Look at yeah. look at his hair. It's oh, yeah. you know that, and that was the same era as like Yager's mullet. And, and then he shaved and, it. It's all over. And then people are like, what? Yeah. You sh- you it's sh- funny you said him because I was literally looking at the the Bleach Report top mullets list, and coming in at number one, of course, Yager, Andre Agassi at number three. Right? Is who was number two? Number two, they have uh, Jared Allen. Jared. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah oh, yeah, from yeah, yeah. yeah the, for, uh, the former defensive end. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I don't know. Brian. I'm looking at that pick. I disagree. I'd say Agassi is far better. Did he, Brian Bosworth have a mullet, yes. or did he just? Yeah, he yeah. did have a mullet, but he had other stuff going on too. He had a bunch. Of, he had the sh- the, the very shaved, side. shaved sides. Yeah. yeah. He kind of introduced the like the power mullet, the '80s power mullet. I want to say. Do you want to know who has an unbelievable mullet in his hockey DB picture? Yeah. Former head coach of the Canucks, Travis Green. Super, it's, right. it's, it's super like, greasy. It's super a greasy, greasy mullet. Yeah. yeah, that's a trail mullet right there. That is exactly what that is. That is that. I, like, was there some slickness added to that mullet? Do, is there product for mullet? Do you, do, do you put? That's a good question. Have is you it, guys? Has anyone in this this uh, studio here ever had like a an an complicated hairstyle? Let's put it that way. Not just like, oh, just cut it short. Has anyone had a complicated hairstyle? Like Halford kind of has long hair, but I wouldn't call it like a no, I, no one would be no one would be like, Whoa, look at your hair, right? When I played soccer at Langara College. You look like Carlos Val- Valderrama. I grew up my big blonde afro. No, I um <laughs> we had That's just a natural look. Did you know that? We did you know, uh hazing in a very like safe sense i don't want to make it sound awful but one of the things that we did was um you you rookie players had to play a game with a a team chosen haircut i'm using okay. haircut very loosely yeah so you got guys like you did like the inverse bowl cut where you gave him the scotty hamilton like you just you left the fringes of the hair and you shaved off the top the oh like the oh, cul-de-sac I yeah see. Okay. right um yeah. one of them the guy had the classic 90s parted 
uh, Dawson's Creek down the middle hair. <laughs> yeah. So they shaved one side of it and then left the other side. So when he played in the first half, they thought he was a different player in the second half because he was on the other side of the field and suddenly he had hair. We're on the first, you know what I oh mean? My God. Yeah, it was great. I don't think they fell for that. Oh, no, but it would look You could like never it. turn. <laughs> Did you sub a new guy in? Ah, you'd think so, but we didn't. Anyway, um, I here's what I, I so when I, when I was a rookie, I, I was very proactive and I thought ahead. So I shaved my head bald, no hair, nothing. So they You did? Yeah. So Are there they, pictures of this? Yeah, I'm sure. I had no hair. So I couldn't, I mean, I, I, took, I took a yeah. razor, not a straight razor. Like I didn't go down. So you to the beat scalp. them to the punch. Beat them to the punch. There's nothing they could do. Yeah. They appreciated it, but then they just got me in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> they one up me. <laughs> they just beat the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. <inside. laughs> yeah. They yeah. Just beat you with a sack of oranges. Yeah, that's right. Sweet Valencia oranges. <laughs> and don't leave a bruise. <laughs> that's so weak. What? That she would purposely go out of the way to not partake in your rookie punishment. Um. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I don't know. I. I looking back, I probably just should have leaned into yeah. it more. Yeah. But because I mean. Countless others did. What about you, Bruff? Have you ever had a crazy hairstyle? I just can't no. picture it. No. You're, like, you're like the John Unitas. I, yeah. I, I, I watched that haircut. I recently <laughs> tried to grow my hair out, like just have a bit of a longer haircut. It lasted like three months before I went to the bar where I was like, no, I can't do this. I'm not a long hair guy. I don't like anything that takes time in the morning mm. or ever. Yep. Right? Like I don't, like I used to just take the the number two and just clip it all off. There was a period right? of time where I shaved my head. I yeah. loved it. It was amazing. I, I don't think it looked amazing, right? But I was Got kind the of job like, done. Like who is that? Who is that? Is it is it Breeze Bois, the Tampa Bay Lightning general manager that has his hair just like clipped? Julian Breeze Bois got a, a very close cropped. Right. right? Yeah. Or like Chris Mullen back in the day. Chris Mullen had a flat top. Yeah, yeah, he did have a flat top. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little more work. Yeah. But I, I don't like like, I actually don't like having to wear a hat every day. Oh. But the only reason I wear a hat is because I don't want to do my hair. When I clipped my hair, I didn't have to wear a hat every When's day. When's the last time you, you've used a blow dryer? I was using a blow dryer when yeah. I blew, when I when I had my hair a little bit long. That's the And I was like, this is, a, this is a hassle. It's work. Yeah, it's work. Did you have I any- didn't know what product to use. I was like reading like blogs on how to do your hair. I'm like, I'm like, I'm 46 years old, still learning how to do my hair. Like, screw this, cut it all off. Do the kids still use pomade? Is pomade a thing? You get, that's how you get the Travis Green real slick back is you throw some pomade in there. Right, and there's different kinds of pomade. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated. If Travis Green had the mullet, would he still be coaching here? <laughs> you think that was the difference, eh? <laughs> I'm wondering. <laughs> if he just kept it? Yeah. Like that was like the, the power move if we just kept it going. It would have inspired the troops. There's there's no way. Can't argue with this guy. Look at his mullet. <laughs> this guy knows his hockey. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware that the NHL coaches kind of tend to fall into the same category with everything. There's a defined look. Remember when John Tortorella decided not to wear a tie and wore like a sweater vest behind the bench? That was newsworthy. He was ill. Yeah, but that, that the fact that he did it, they're like, oh my God, he's wearing a sweater vest. What is the world coming to? By the way, uh, for all the people that texted in, Al Iafredi had the best mullet. I hear you, and I, I, I still, I'm still giving it to Yager, but I agree that Al Iafredi's skullet yeah, was a skullet. That's a big difference. Terrifying. Yep. Like Al Iafredi definitely should have had movie roles where he played the guy who escaped from prison or something like that. Yep. That's what it looks like. Yep. Skullet on the run. Yeah. yeah, but there, there's a difference there. There's Do you remember sc- when Marty McSorley started acting? 
Marty McSorley acted? Marty McSorley was in... I'll look it up. God, what movie was he in? He was in a movie... Uh, God, was it Bad Boys? Yes. What a Was bull. it Bad Boys? Yeah, God, he was in Bad Boys. That? I actually recently watched Bad Boys. It was on AMC. Oh, okay. Uh, he's credited as Henchman. Nice. That's a good film credit for Marty McSorley. Yeah, like yeah. Henchman, right? Yeah, yeah. he was yeah. a Henchman. In, he was in Con Air as well. I wanted to say Con Air oh as my, well. I had no idea that this was a thing. Look at the roles that he has played. Detroit fan, co-pilot, bouncer, and... In CSI Miami, he played the role of rink manager. In a Canucks game, he he played the role of murderer. Yeah, <laughs> future criminal. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got to go to break. Uh, lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. If we're going through Burnaby Roadwork, it's low heat at Spurling. Lane closures both ways. Seven thirty-two on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in the midst of hour two of the program. A reminder: hour three is when we're going to do what we learns and we're going to give away tickets to go see the BC Lions and another set of tickets to go see the Vancouver Canadians. All you got to do is submit a what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. We will pick at random two of the best what we learns, and you will win tickets to either see the BC Lions play on Friday or the Vancouver Canadians play this weekend. Uh, but before any of those games get going, tonight is the premiere of the new docuseries, Welcome to Wrexham. There's been a fairly big story in large part because of the guys involved. Vancouver's very own Ryan Reynolds, uh, Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, joined forces to buy a fifth-tier soccer team that plays out of Wales, Wrexham, uh, plays within the confines of the English Football Association. So it's an interesting story. It debuts tonight. FX now in Canada, also uh, City Plus, if I'm not mistaken, for subscribers there. Uh, joining us now to talk more about this, he interviewed Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney about the documentary, Pablo Moore from The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Pablo. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So we were, we were kicking around this story that we've heard for, about for a long time. I think everyone was well aware of this venture and what these guys were trying to do. They're such high-profile Hollywood guys. Uh, but now we get to see what the project is all about. What were you able to glean about what this is going to look like and how this is going to play out, this docuseries, when you were talking to Rob and Ryan uh, earlier last week? Yeah, um, you know, I'd, I've seen the first five episodes, um, you know, and I spoke to both of them, obviously. Um, it's great. It's a little bit different than some of the other, you know, football docs that have come out recently, sort of all or nothing series, uh, Several Until I Die, that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, it sort of tracks their journey buying the club, um, which they did last year, and then uh, through the club's first season, um, you know, trying to earn a promotion, obviously, to the fourth tier. Um, they've been in the fifth tier for, I want to say, 15 years or so. Um, so it's pretty pretty fascinating. It's like a it's like an all-access um, 
you know, thing. It should be a, an enjoyable watch. Um, now we were talking about the the notion of like what the what the end game is here. Like, is this about sports ownership? Is it that they saw an opportunity to build a film because it's got all the perfect narratives of the small little club looking to rise to play amongst the big clubs? Is this just a branding exercise for the two of them? What uh, if you could answer any of that? What what was the sense that you got in speaking with them? Yeah, I mean, I think they were pretty open from the jump that they were going to make a documentary, and I think. There are a lot of things about um, the town of Wrexham itself and just the way the English football system is set up. And, I mean, you know, there's obviously many others across the globe that use promotion and relegation, have a pyramid, that sort of stuff. I think those two things really spoke to, um, to Rob McElhinney, you know. So um, it's sort of a 50-50 endeavor, you know. I think, um, you know, both of them as filmmakers saw the potential of this very obvious underdog story. You know, team plays in the oldest stadium in the world, one of the oldest continually operating teams in the world. You know, they've sort of been floundering for, you know, 10, 15 years. So obviously it has all the all the makings of a documentary um, on the surface. And, you know, I think, you know, the buy-in was pretty low. When you think about it, I want to say that they purchased the team for $2 million, which obviously there's literally no sports team in the United States that could be purchased right. for that. Um, you know, maybe you're getting, I don't know, a professional ultimate Frisbee team or something, you know, but <laughs> certainly not a soccer team. Um, no offense to your ultimate Frisbee listeners, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it was sort of a 50-50 thing. But, I mean, they, 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 they've never made any, you know, any sort of – they've never pretended like this, this wasn't going to be a film, you know. So that certainly was part of it. Tell us a bit about the town of Wrexham and what the response has been there to this. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the questions I had watching the first five episodes was, you know, like, geez, did anybody here not want them to own the club? You know, I, I sort of, you'd expect a team with that much history that there would be like some widespread skepticism about, you know, these two American owners coming in out of nowhere, um, you know, people thinking it might be a publicity stunt, but they were you know, by, by the documentary's account and even by the um, the vote taken by, you know, it's a fan-owned club partially. So, you know, they had to approve the sale. And I want to say it was, you know, 98% yes. You know, so they seem to have embraced um, Rob and Ryan. You know, as far as the town goes, it's, you know, the way it's represented in the documentary is sort of the way you'd expect it to be. You know, working class um, place, obviously very attached to, their soccer club, football club, as they would call it. Um, you know, I think the the film really is more about the people surrounding the club, the fans, the town itself, than the club itself, you know. What about the players? What is the caliber of the players? Is this their full-time job? Do they have other jobs? Are any of them locals from the town? Yeah, I mean, um, one or two are uh, local kids. Um, they... You know, like as far as what they make, you know, they're all full-time uh, athletes. Uh, you know, I think many of them probably have um, dreams or goals of, you know, if not playing in the EPL, playing in the championship or um, the third tier. You know, they make thirty, forty thousand pounds a year by and large. Uh, you know, so it is sort of peanuts. It's a little bit like what an MLS player would have made um, in the sort of olden days of the league. You know, where you had a lot of guys who were playing, but then also like teaching soccer camps, you know, on the side. Um, right. So it, it has that same vibe. It's very, 
I mean, it's very minor league, for lack of a better ter- uh, term, you know. We're speaking to Pablo Mar from The Athletic here on the Health and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting time for soccer in North America because of, one, all the streaming. So you mentioned in the, the interview that you did with them, there's Sunderland Till I Die. There's the All or Nothing series on Amazon Prime, which one, one featured Tottenham, another one featured Arsenal. You've got this one now. So the, the, the time for content creation and then the able, be able to you know, spread that across the globe, but especially in North America to North American audience that are maybe getting caught up to a certain degree with the game. And then, uh, you know, locally as we'll end on something MLS here, uh, there's the shift to Apple TV where the league itself has sort of become this trailblazer in moving to this digital format that is really going to, I don't know if it's necessarily going to reinvent sports rights, but it's certainly a bold move from a league that, and a sport now that we're looking at it and saying, you know, the, the way that the content is consumed and chopped up and delivered, it's really like nothing we've ever seen before. Yeah, no, you're certainly right about that. I mean, I think, yeah, MLS is the first, you know, um, I guess some people wouldn't call it major, but, you know, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's a top five league in the U.S. at least, you know, and you see them selling literally all their rights to one provider. It's definitely, um, you know, unprecedented. And and I think MLS is going to have to, uh, you know they're going to need all this sort of shoulder programming around um, games and you know on off days and stuff like that. I, I think it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. You'd see a welcome to Wrexham type, um, you know, piece done about uh, any number of MLS teams. My my concern with that is always, you know, I look at uh, Formula One Drive to Survive. Right, yep. this is like a huge franchise um, globally, U.S., Canada, elsewhere, and it has a lot of people interested in F1 now that couldn't have been bothered to pay attention to the sport years ago i've i've you know i was a mechanic for 20 years so i've long been an f1 fan okay and like i um you know i i think to myself it'd be interesting to see an mls club like let's say the whitecaps in your market do a documentary like that all access etc my my concern is always sort of you know when the team or the league itself is producing it how authentic is it you know how gritty is it are you going to see really the nuts and bolts of everything or is it going to be something far more sort of polished and, and idealized you know because i think um you know mls fans soccer fans in this country generally are sort of um you know probably pretty savvy when it comes to that stuff mm-hmm. you know um as they're pretty savvy media consumers so i do think there'd definitely be an interest in something like that i just i, I think it had to be done the right way you know well, it's interesting you bring that up because prior on this show, we actually had David Coulthard on this show, and I, I felt bad because I knew literally next to nothing about F1 <laughs> auto racing in general, and I didn't try to pretend like I did because it would have yeah. kind of it would have been pretty in, uh, inauthentic, I think. But um, it's funny that you, you said you mentioned you, you're like 20 years as a mechanic. What was your response or what was your thoughts when you saw uh, at Drive to Survive for the first time? Yeah, I mean, that, too, is, like, pretty stylized, right? I mean, you have, I, th- I think there's multiple drivers that have come out this. I mean, there are drivers <clears throat> who've refused to participate in it because they say that the produce- producers sort of, like, grab on the certain storylines sure. and dramatize them, that kind of stuff, you know? So I had that same sort of response. On the other hand, it's just, um, it's fantastic get- to get that kind of access to a sport like F1 that's, over the years been kind of closed off and a little secretive and inaccessible to even its most diehard fans. I mean, it's, it's a good effort. You know what I mean? I just think that's going to, it's going to take something more for 
you know, an MLS version of that to to kind of thrive. You know, I mean, F1 by default is going to have this huge pull because it's in other parts of the world the most popular thing imaginable. You know, Um, but I do think that you know that's a perfect model for U.S. Canada as far as soccer goes. I mean, let's be realistic: soccer is you know it's a pretty big deal at this point, but it's still well behind you know, hockey, baseball, sure. football, basketball in the U.S., um, you know, it's going to take uh, it's gonna take something special to sort of move the needle in that way. Pablo, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoy the rest of the Wrexham doc and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer, too. Thanks, guys. Take care. You, too. Thanks. That's Pablo Mar from The Athletic here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. A couple of interesting things that I wanted to jump off on there, but you go. What's the most important thing to you when you're watching a sports documentary? What do you want to see? Uh, I, we touched on this earlier, and I'll, I'll rehash it a little bit. It's that if I, if I know the story, it's got to be tell me something that I don't. So basically, I need to learn something, Yeah. right? So if I don't know anything, like, for example, if I was to watch Drive to Survive, which I haven't yet, mm-hmm. I would literally learn any everything that I had ever learned about F1. You I know any, anything. It's like four tires. I, right. There, there, I, I learned that there are no power windows in the cars, mm-hmm. which I still feel is a ripoff. With right. The cars are that expensive. You should have power windows. Mm-hmm. But, um, And then if it's one that I know the story, there's got to be something there that I, and a lot, that I'm still learning about it. For or, me, it has to go beyond sports. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And that's what's going on Yeah, with, uh, this is the shift. I'm not trying to make this too big picture, but this is the shift culturally that we are going down now. And it is... Uh, people that from a creative side of thing, like the arts and film and television, people that produce drama and storylines and narratives, yeah. meshing with the sport itself. Because, and in, Rob McElhinney explains this um, in the, in the article quite succinctly. When they go into a writer's room and they 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 hash out a script, yeah, they know how it's going to begin. They know what's going to happen in the middle. They know how it's going to end because it's all planned ahead of time. One of the great things about sport is the spontaneity and the unpredictability, right? Now, here's the other thing about sport. Sometimes it's pretty boring. Sometimes nothing happens. Yeah. Sometimes it's not that exciting. And sometimes you follow someone around and you're like, I've come to realize that you were boring. <laughs> so, or, or you don't want to, or you don't want to show yourself. Exactly. Right. So that's where you get the intersection of people that create mm-hmm. drama like what Rob and Ryan Reynolds are doing in this and the, the platform and the vehicle to do it basically. So that's what we're seeing. It's all over the place. So for example, some of the best documentaries that I've seen, I'll, I'll list them off here. Uh, OJ made in America. Yeah. That was great. I thought that was unbelievable. And I remember when it came out, I was like, this thing's, what was it? Eight hours or something. It was like four episodes of two hours each. And yep. It was something, something along those lines. I'm like, that's way too long. I'm not going to watch this. I watched the entire thing because mm-hmm. I learned something, and it wasn't just about OJ. It was really about, in a lot of in a lot of ways, the the history of Los Angeles. Yeah, race uh, relations between re- the LAPD, LAPD, and, yeah, yeah. And the black people in Los Angeles. Did yeah. you watch the documentary about Diego Maradona going to Napoli? No, you told me you told me about that. This was really interesting. Um, There's a lot of subtitles there, so you might not enjoy that. Don't but like it, was, reading. it was all about Maradona going to Napoli and and, and essentially falling uh, prey to the the mafia there, or I guess what they call the Camorra there. I, I think that's what they they call it. Like Very it's well basically done. the the seedy 
underbelly of Naples and how those guys introduced Maradona to drugs, cocaine, got them like hooked and like they got their they got their talons into him, right? Yep. And, and and that was what a lot of people were worried about, frankly, when he went there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was interesting to me, like things like that. I already mentioned the 30 for 30 documentary about uh, the two Escobars. So you learn something about Colombia's history there yeah, right. as well. Like that's what I want to see from sports documentaries. I feel like, and I've watched so much sports in my life and I've watched a lot of sports documentaries. For me, I need something more than just like the underdog story. Yeah, and I right, think, like I've yeah. seen that before. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the most easy, obvious, and frequent one because it's formulaic, and formulaic often means, well, we know what we're doing here; we can move forward with this one. Yeah, like for example, the Manti Teo documentary. If you want to talk about not being, it's not really about sports; it's about the guy's life being ruined because he got catfished. Right, like that's yeah. There's yeah. so many elements. That's not about sports. That's right. that's about that's about uh, you know. That's it's it's kind of like a fish out of water story too, isn't yep. it? Right, yep. like he's at Notre Dame and he doesn't feel like he really fits in, so he's got this this online relationship that he thinks is real, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, I mean that 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 speaks to our culture, sure, right now as well. Yep. Uh, Peter and Cloverdale writes into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at six fifty six fifty. It sounds like real sports are trying to add stories like pro wrestling. You're not that far off. You're really not because there's a few things at the surface level that you can do with the the concept of sport and the way that it plays out. And you've mentioned one already is the favorite against the underdog. Yeah. That's always there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Good guy versus bad guy, smart guy versus dumb guy. There's, and it's the versus thing of it. Remember when um, uh, new ways of doing things versus the old ways of doing things. Perfect right? Money example ball. too. Remember when the NHL went down the road with HBO twenty four seven, the first one that came out. Yeah, it was perfect. When people were, and all the participants didn't really realize yeah. what was going to happen if they acted unfiltered on camera, and it wasn't super unfiltered, mm-hmm. but. They quickly realized they learned what uh, narrative means and what the editing room can do to enhance that narrative. Right, and I mean, I would love, love to get Bruce Boudreaux on this program and get him to speak candidly and unfiltered about the aftermath of that. How he was portrayed? How he was portrayed? He was portrayed as like a bumbling guy that you know, just like versus Dan Bosma, who was portrayed as this buttoned up genius. Dan Bosma wore glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the smart guy. And Bruce Boudreaux was the guy that liked ice cream because he was bigger and he had it. The, he was he jolly. Lo- he looked like the perfect guy to be in that role, right? Yes, yes. Like less un- he's, he's unkempt. He's, you know, he's maybe he's like, he's got his shirt untucked, that kind of stuff. But it's funny because after that, the series really started to suck. If we're being honest, mm-hmm. I stopped watching the Road to the Winter Classic because it wasn't entertaining anymore. No. Because everyone on camera knew that, man, if I say something, uh, it might be construed the wrong way, or, or even worse, mm-hmm. the producers will take it and turn me into something that I don't really want to be, I have, and I have no control over that. Yeah. So the trick is to give him nothing to work for, right? I mean, I remember coming out of that series and thinking, man, Dan Bilesman is like- He's the, so smart. The best, young, smartest head coach in hockey. He'll coach forever. Yeah. And that didn't even come close to panning mm-hmm. out, right? But it was all how it was produced and then packaged to the public. <laughs> Bob and Nanaimo, what about Randy Carlisle not being able to use a toaster? That was funny. That, but here's the thing: all those things stand the test of time. 
You probably remember remember Randy Carlisle more for the toaster scene yeah. than a lot of other things that he's done in his very illustrious NHL career, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Ilya Brzezgalov, those quotes that he had about space and everything else. I think they portrayed him pretty accurately, though. <laughs> why, you, why you have to be mad? But <laughs> it's just sport. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is that, you know, he probably cemented his legacy as being the really – quirky, off-the-wall yeah. guy because of 24-7. There were a lot of people that introduced this guy. They're mm. like, what is he We've talking We've seen about? him in action, though. He is that guy. I love that documentary, especially that first one. It was just so good. Do you remember yeah. at the All-Star game when he was going around asking people math questions? Uh, yeah. Was that? That was him, right? Yeah, it was. That a, was Bruce Galloff, right? Let's see. Do you remember the equation? Let's see if these guys can do it. No, the well, no, I don't remember the equation, but essentially it was testing players on bed mass or you whatever. You guys know what that is? You know, like. When yeah, Ben does. Ben went to university, unlike you do. <laughs> uh, so yeah, explain to the listeners in the within math what bed mass represents. Brackets. Yep. Exponents. Mm-hmm. Division. Multiplication. Addition. Subtraction. Good. So right. what Brzezgalov was doing was going around on media day at the All Star game, asking NHL players if they could do what is the answer of two plus two. Times two. So you do the two times two first. Correct. That's four. Yeah. And then you t- uh, you add two, so it's six. All right. all the North American players got it wrong. <laughs> wow. All the Russian players got it right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My math teacher in high school showed up. Mr. Wong would be so proud of me right yeah. now. <laughs> you you nailed the test. Bang. Yeah. You are brighter than approximately sixty percent of the NHL. I'm so happy right <laughs> yeah, now. That's that's a real compliment. Make sure you put that on your resume. Yes. I have nothing to add. I'm just trying to remember certain things that I learned in high school. Bed mass. I remember a physics equation, force equals mass times acceleration. Then I'm out. Bass mock nininipe. What? That's how you do the provinces across Did Canada. You just a stroke? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Tell, tell me that again. Bass mock nininipe. I have never heard Bas-mok, that. Bass mock That's all the first letters of each province going from west to east in Canada. <laughs> No, 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 puh. Prince Edward Island isn't. Yeah, I'm just doing it. The Maritimes are just a conglomerate, so it's easier to go. Just as a recital, it's easier to remember. No, 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 puh. The only one that's ever stuck with me like that is 30 days has September, April, June, and November. I'll remember that till the day I die. One more time? 30 days has September, April, June, and November. If you ever want to know how many days in a month there is, other than February, it's the freak month <laughs> the freak month as stupid we call it <laughs> stupid smart weather uh, other than february uh, 30 days has september april june and november you'll never forget ever again that there are 30 or 31 days in a month that's peter and cloverdale bed mass is grade eight not university well uh, not sfu yeah that's actually third year at sfu for halford it's true i was a master's in bed mass what was the b again <laughs> Um, Bongos? Yeah. Andy, did you go to post-secondary? I, was, I, I know so well, much about you. Radio school. I mean, BCIT. I, I, no, actually, I did go to Cap. It was a college at that point. I went to Cap College for yeah. two years. They upgraded to university. Yeah, this was before the university times. Yeah. And Dom, where did you go again? Uh, Qualen and then to um, Columbia. And you went to U of T then? Is that correct? I went to U of T for my undergrad, and then I did the journalism program at BCIT. Oh, you went to U of T and now you're here? <laughs> it didn't go very well. <laughs> went to U of T and now, now you're sharing a room with two bags of garbage. <laughs> All right. And we don't mean Andy and Dom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. There's other bags of garbage as well. Okay. Uh, I need to. Dom's back with his awkwardly placed drops. Uh, I need to tell you now about Fido. 
back-to-school deals on the latest phones, plans, and much more are on now at Fido. Visit them in-store or on the internet at Fido.ca. Uh, coming up, final hour of the Halford & Bruff Show, we're going to do what we learns. We are also going to talk to Dave Dufour from The Athletic, NBA Vertical, NBA podcaster. Going to talk to him about the Kevin Durant situation in Brooklyn. Lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.